Good morning. Thank you. Uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach. And uh, today, in just a few minutes, we're going to be in Hebrews, well, two verses in Hebrews 10, but primarily in Hebrews 11. If you want to get there, it'll also be on the screen behind you. Uh, this morning, my, 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 main, my main thing, my one thing that I want us to wrestle with and wrestle through is this statement. Faith is trusting God with your story. I think sometimes it's really easy to trust God with his story, which we think is this big thing that sometimes doesn't involve us. And I think it's a little bit more difficult for us to trust the story that involves us, that God is actively working on right now as we're going, as we're living day to day. So here's a question for you to get you started. Uh, Of course, you don't have to answer this out loud or raise your hand to say, I don't know. Is it easy or difficult to trust God with your story, a.k.a. your life. And all of it, not just the easy parts, not just the things that, yes, I trust, have faith in God, and I'm believing in Him, but I'm talking about the, the, the truth of the matter is that most of our stories is pretty messy, if we're going to be honest. I mean, not what you see here on Sunday morning, but most of our stories have had a little bit of mess in them, and sometimes they've been very, very scary. Again, maybe most people that are around us don't see how scary they really are, but it is going on inside of us. And it can be very easy to forget to put your trust in the right place. Today we're going to take a look at lots of examples of what it looks like to trust God with your story. Uh, and you'll, this will kind of tag into uh, Hebrews 11.6, uh, because the tension is that without faith, trust, uh, it is impossible to please God, which is where we're going to land. So let's pray. God, without you softening our hearts, we won't hear your message. And Lord, that's what I want this morning, not that uh, we would hear my message, but that we would hear your message, what you speak in the word. Lord, I pray that we would have confidence in the work you're doing involving us in your story. And Lord, I pray that you would help, regardless of what's going on, move us towards trust, move us towards having faith in the bigger picture of what you're doing, trusting you with the little things, trusting you with the scary things, and trusting you with the messy things. And so, Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit in this room to do uh, what we are unable to do, to soften our hearts and prepare us for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews 10, there's lots of things going on here, but there's this statement that starts in verse 34. It says, for you had compassion on those. And and in the story, there's there's a lot of turmoil that's going on. There's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of good reasons potentially um, to lose faith, good reasons to potentially be really scared and good reasons to potentially not trust the story. And what he's saying in 34, he says, for you had compassion on those in prison that have been arrested. And listen to this. This is truly crazy. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Can you imagine that for a second? Can you imagine in a state or a place that 
uh, because of your faith, because of what you believe, that literally they could come and take everything away from you. And what he's telling them in Hebrews of what they're doing, that you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Joyfully. I mean, I'm sure they weren't out there like, take more. But they understood, which you'll see here in just a second, that it was more than that. And so it continued on. It says, since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an and an inviting one, one that wasn't just going to go away, one that wasn't going to rust or fail, one that wasn't going to fall down at some, one, some point, like your house at some point uh, in the history, maybe not while you're there, will fall down, will go away. A um, hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, what we have built potentially won't be standing, period. So they were trusting in something greater than there now. And, and then verse 36, it says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. See, they were trusting God with their stories. And he's getting ready to lay out like, so this is present day. This is what's going on. This would be like God talking to us right now with what's going on in your life. And in, in chapter 11 is basically him giving um, you power to help you get through all of this now. Because this was the now for them. And what he's going to lay out in chapter 11, which we're going to go through part of that, is that you can have confidence in what God is doing by Faith, even when you don't get to see the finished story, even when you don't get to see it all ended beautifully. And the truth is, is many of us, probably all of us in this room have need of endurance, have need in continuing in the real, faithful, genuine trusting of God. And this is what he's telling them. He said, you have need. And in the equation that you see in the end is endurance plus doing the will of God equals his promises. And we, we just have to maintain this. And so we go into, and him telling them, you have to have endurance. He's getting ready to give them a reason for. And so uh, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The convictions of things not seen, for it the people of old received their con, uh, commendations. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. He's saying, like, look at the creation that we see. And even though we weren't there when it happened, even though we didn't witness it, we can have trust that God made these things. And, and the beauty of that is, is we won't always get to see the work of God until it's done. We won't we don't see the, the, the beauty of his creation as it's being created. Sometimes we literally don't get to see it until the story is over. And that's what he's saying. Like we get to rest in what we see now, but we weren't there in the middle of it. We're trusting that he's going to finish. And then he goes into telling stories of people who, by faith, that's a word that you're going to see here over and over again, of people that, by faith, did the right thing. And this is pre-Jesus. This is before the Holy Spirit. This is before the finished work of the Bible that we get to see. This is literally people, starting with Abel, 
who by faith trusted God with their story. In verse 4, it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. More acceptable. It wasn't even what they offered. It was that it was done in faith by Abel. Cain was not. Cain was rejected because his was not done in faith. And I don't know if you know the story, but his anger, bitterness took the best of him and he killed his brother, which explains why he says right here. It says, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Though he, and, and this is the beauty of our own life and faith, that, that our life in faith has the ability to speak generationally through us. After we're not even here on this planet, our faith can communicate who God is by how we lived, how we loved, and what we did. In verse 5. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And then verse 6, if you've ever memorized scripture, um, Hebrews eleven six is one of those probably in the top 10 that people have memorized. It's one that, you know, one of the first memorization things I did as a believer, this was one of those verses. And so he's telling these two things that what you see uh, and then here becomes part of his answers in verse six. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Meaning it's not possible for us to do anything that doesn't include faith and it be pleasing to God. That's the underlying truth that, that we even if we do the right things, but don't walk it out in faith, we don't please God, period. It says for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Trusting God with our story takes our believing that he is capable to do what we cannot do. Capable to change what you're afraid he cannot change. Then in verse 7 it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that came through faith. And if you're not familiar, I mean, most of us are familiar with the story of Noah, Noah's Ark. I mean, even if you've not been around church, you've, you've probably heard of Noah's Ark and, you know, animals got on there and there was water and then it ended. What you may not be familiar with is that Noah's story, his interaction with God um, God had a conversation with him, told him to build a boat, told him exactly how big to build it, how wide to build it, what to put on it, what to do. And he began building. And you're like, oh, OK, true. Now, we're if you're familiar with the great movie, Evan Almighty. <laughs> it took a little bit longer than Steve Carell's character, Evan, to build the boat. 
It took Noah almost a hundred years, 120 years potentially to build this boat. Could you imagine faithfully? And I don't know if God had a conversation with him one day and for 120 years had no more words interacted between him and the father. I don't know that he spent 120 years being faithful to this job that God put him to. Could you imagine people? I mean, this was an area that there wasn't water around. Could you imagine? And I I mean, if you saw Evan Almighty, you saw the neighbors and, you know, the people that are making fun of him and ridiculing him and waiting. Oh, is it going to rain? And and potentially, at least the way the Bible's written, it didn't look like there was much experience with literal rain. Most of the water came from underneath. So it wasn't in like rainstorms and floods. It's like you're an idiot. And for 120 years, he continued to trust his story to God. I mean, so if you think you're long suffering in whatever you're going through, think of Noah. And this is why he's giving us all of these examples. And there is great reason for us to meditate on those. The reality that Noah spent 120 years being faithful to God in spite of having no real understanding other than the faith that it was coming. This water was going to rise, that it was going to do. He just faithfully over and over and over again, was obedient. And he trusted his story to God. In verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he had not received as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I mean, the story of Abraham is unusual. Here's a guy... Uh, and, and we don't understand it quite as well because we move around. I mean, most of us, okay, this is the one time that I, I'm going to say, raise your hand. How many of you in this room grew up within a 10 mile radius of where you're at right now? Anyone? One, two. Okay. So all of us have moved from one place to another. Very willingly, no problem. In this culture, you didn't go anywhere without your family. You didn't just pick up and leave and, hey, I'm moving to the coast or I'm going to the mountains. It was where you were born. That was your family. That was your culture. That was your community. And you did not leave it. And Abraham was the first of God's children, really. I mean, he was the one he was going to build his generation out of. It wasn't like there was... He was at church one day and God spoke to them. This was a whole new thing. And then and God, the father, told him to go and he left. And he told this old man, which you'll hear a little bit later. We're not going to go that far into it, um, that he's going to be the father of many generations. And they had no children. And let me pull something a little bit out of that story is that even in spite of us, Sometimes not trusting in God's story. 
which Abraham's a perfect one. You know the story. 25 years, so 120 years with, uh, with Noah. God had a conversation. You're going to be the father of many generations. He and his wife were already old at the time. 25 years later, Isaac was born. Could you imagine 25? I mean, we're not talking about fertility for six months or eight months or a year or 24 months. Or We're talking about 25 years trusting. And in the middle of that, they stopped trusting. Sarah brought some wisdom to the table. Let me just tell you, men. Like, just go read the story. There's sometimes that you just have to say no to your wife. Sarah had a brilliant idea. God isn't going to use me. Maybe he'll use my maidservant. Why don't you marry her and have a child? And will you see, if you don't know how the story goes, it doesn't go well. Like, it just doesn't go well. It doesn't end well. It's not pretty. But in, in spite of him at times, and this is the mercy that I, I want us to understand, because I think sometimes when we start talking about trusting God's story, the moment you fail to trust God with your story, you lose it. And you're like, well, what does it matter? If every single person who we read about in this story gave up the first time they blew it, we wouldn't have a story. The grace and mercy about that faith is that in spite of the messiness, even sometimes in spite of the mess that we create, God is still weaving a story that is worthy. And it goes on. There, there, there's, Moses is another one. Here's a guy that in, I was reading um, it. There, it actually says in there, it, it starts with his parents. And they said because of the, how beautiful Moses was that they held him for three months. They like hid him. Because the, the, the command was to kill every child under two years old. Every male child. And they hid him. And then when they could hide him no more, they put him in this little basket. And he floated down river and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and he gets raised actually by his mother, in Pharaoh's house. And here you have this guy that knew his heritage because his mom weaned him. I mean, he, and I'm pretty sure he was aware of that, knew his people. And, and his trusting God was killing somebody a little bit later. And then he goes off into the wilderness and he comes back as Moses, the the champion that, that couldn't speak well. That I mean, he made lots of mistakes. But he kept coming back to the trust and faith of God leading his story. That literally he helped freed people. And I'm just, for anybody in leadership, um, just read the story of Moses. It, it, it rarely is it's simple. It's rarely easy. It's rarely uncomplicated. It's rarely um, rainbows and puppies. They tried to kill him a couple times. He wanted to kill them lots of times. But you see this weaving back and forth of this trust, and it goes down this list. And I wrote this statement under these. It says, you are stepping 
in the direction of what you are putting your faith in. So whatever you're putting your faith in, literally whatever you're trusting with your story, you're going to begin to walk towards that thing that you're trusting in. If you're trusting in God with your story, you're going to walk towards God. If you're trusting in you, you're going to walk on your own strength, on your own power. If you're trusting in money or you're trusting in power or position, you'll walk in that. You'll have faith that those things will rescue you. You'll have things faith that those things will redeem you. You'll have faith that those things will give you the life that you so desire. And so here's a question just to kind of churn as we continue on is. Where is that taking you? Like, where are you heading? Are you aware of what direction that you're walking in? Where is your face today? And I want to jump back to Matthew 18. There's a a conversation that's always struck me really weird. But I think there's a lot of power in it. There's a, a discussion that goes on with his disciples. We're going to be in 18 verse 1 through 4. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I'm sure they put on their best clothes. Brushed their teeth with their fingers because they didn't have toothbrush back then. Stood in front of Jesus, and I don't know who asked the question. Doesn't say right here. Disciples came to Jesus saying, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom?" Because Jesus had his twelve, including Judas. He had his three, but of the three, like who who was his favorite? Who who was the greatest? And and I love almost every not almost every interaction Jesus has. He's teaching. There's a lesson to be learned. He's not there. There's no pointless words in what he's saying. There's no pointless phrases. There's no like, oh, you know, like I'm going to, you know, oh, what should I do? Like there's wisdom in it. So this, this is what he's asking them. They're asking, who's the greatest? And this is what Jesus does. I'm sure like in my mind, he's very coy about it. It's not like he's like, you're idiots. I'm going to teach you a lesson. He just smiles and goes, oh, come sit down. And in verse 2 it says, and calling to him a child. He put him in the midst of them. So he brings this little child. I don't know if he had this like planted. I don't know if he just looked and said, oh, there's a child. I don't, I don't know where this child came from. But he, he brings this child into the midst of his disciples who just ask, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? And he said, truly, I say to you. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom. Do you, do you think he meant that statement? Yeah. What, what does that mean? And I know those with children would be like, oh, my gosh, this could be messy. Like, do I? Lots of wrong things coming to my head about relating that to children that I'm not going to talk about. <clears throat> but the truth is children trust their parent, their guardian with the story. 
I mean, the older they get, the more questions they ask, the more hmm, doubt they have. And, you know, my 15-year-old constantly reminds me uh, of my driving when he's driving and I'm correcting him. But, Dad, you drive a little bit over the speed limit. But, Dad, I don't see you use the blinker. Dad, you only drive with one hand. And my favorite that he brings up all the time, when are you going to teach me how to drive with my knee? <laughs> Never. It's a, they're watching. I mean, but, he, you know, he's looking and seeing. But, you know, when he was three or four, there, there wasn't any question. There's a freedom that they had in following. There was a willingness that they had, a trust that they lose as they grow. But when they're young, they, they literally are like, okay, we can do this. I mean, if you, you tell them, you know, they, they can fly, they're going to climb up to the top of the house and jump off expecting it to be true because they trust. And what he's telling us, unless we're willing to come to that place of trust, of that place of faith, that willingness to believe, and this is where a lot of parents get into trouble because we don't always take the benefit of this time in their life and sometimes we don't always lead them the right way. But he's saying, unless you come back to this place that you can look to me and trust me, like that, you're not going to be able to enter the kingdom because you're not going to trust him. You're not going to have faith. You're not going to believe his words. You're going to look at these and be like, ah, maybe he didn't mean that. Be like Noah going, if dad drives his knees, so am I. That's the epitome he told me. Maybe five years. I'll wait five years and then I'll start working on it. <laughs> imagine in the life of a child just willing to just trust and believe in. And here's story after story of people that trusted in spite of what they saw. In spite of what they knew for sure would be the outcome. Leaving the story, you know, they're, 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 all of these stories... You couldn't see the end result. We get to see it because we know the story of Moses. We know the story of Abraham. We know the story of Abel. We know the story of Enoch. We know the story of all the ones listed here because we've read their story and we get to see what happened. And he's saying, unless you enter back into that life and faith of a child, trusting that when you read what he says, you believe it and you you walk in it like it is truth. Not like it is truth, that it is the truth. In verse 4, it says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He answers their questions. They ask, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And he said, if you humble yourself like a child, you'll be the greatest in the kingdom. That's where we, the greatest one in this room will be the one who trusts the most of what God says and to do that you have to know what god says you have to know what he's asking of us you have to know what he's saying every single one of these people heard the voice of god and and the beauty of it is is we don't have to live in that place of just hearing 
and trusting an audible voice. I don't know about you, there's lots of potential voices in our heads that we don't want to trust. But we get what they didn't, is that we, we get his voice right here. Now, part of it is striving to understand what he is asking of us, but most of it, specifically in the New Testament, is pretty simple. Looking at the Gospels of what he's called us to do and how he's called us to live and what we're called to believe in and trust in and live for. So here's some questions as we wrap this up. Again, don't answer this. Other than internally, what does your faith look like today? And this isn't a judgment on my part of like, is your faith good enough? But what does your faith look like? What what are you trusting in? Here's the next question is, do you have need of endurance? Because if your faith isn't looking that great Endurance is what is needed. Trusting, getting back to that place. Here's another one. What needs to happen for you to trust God with your story? We have what none of the people in Hebrews 11 had. We have the rest of the story. We have it right here in front of us. We have the resurrected Christ, the Messiah that was to come, the Messiah that proved himself by coming back to life. We have the promised Holy Spirit. And we have the words of God that are communicating to us, asking us, begging us to trust him with our story. And there's lots of things in our story that we need to trust him with. There's lots of things going on in our lives that a humble faith in God's story for us will help bring us peace. And some of that honestly, is is not seeing or understanding at times why these things have happened. But trusting Him, believing that what He is doing in you is for your good in His glory, which is the hardest thing. And, and He gave great examples of people that spent years, decades, century for one of them trusting God I'm going to invite our worship team back up and we're going to close with a song and one more statement if I can be honest and transparent with you uh, this is a struggle even for those who wear microphones and stand in front of other people and read text. It's difficult to trust God with your story. And as much as our faith story brought us here to this place, uh, to this church, to this city, 
it's been difficult. It's hard when things don't look like they're going. I mean, when we first moved here, we didn't have a place to meet. We didn't have a worship leader. I mean, literally months before we launched, we didn't have any of those things. And I was really nervous. I was really nervous the first Sunday, like, are people going to show up? Like, are, are, you know, I feel very confident that God called us here. And to be completely honest, the main reason why I'm still here today is because I believe more than anything that God asked me, told me to come to this city and to plant this church. And most of the last seven years of of me just trusting him with this story. And I'm telling you, in the middle of it, sometimes it didn't look like trust. Sometimes it looks like I'm going crazy. Sometimes it looks like, and, and the things that you'll never hear, my wife heard all of them. The fear, the anxiety. And you know what God constantly does, and this is what I believe he wants to do this morning. He wants to constantly bring you back to the truth, the reality. And that's what he does to me every time when I get too far this way, when I get too far in my own fear, in my own anxiety, he brings me back to this point. I'm worth trusting. Not me, him. And he's told me over and over again, when I don't want you there, I'll remove you, which is a little scary. <laughs> but until I do that, trust the story. So this morning, if you're struggling trusting God's story in your life, here's the only option that we have. Confess it. Literally, tell him, I'm struggling with it. And every time I would try to do it on my own, when I'd finally come to that place of just crying out and going, God, I need you. He would always come in and bring me back to the same place of peace that I had from the beginning is that he asked, I'm going to be obedient. So confess it. Repent of that unbelief, of that lack of faith And give him the rest of your story. The beauty of God the Father, he takes people of all ages. We've seen him work with ones coming out of the womb. We've seen him work with those that are uh, barren and 90 years old. We've seen him do things with people at all stages of life that have come beneficial to them, not Just in their story, but in this bigger picture. And literally every single one of the people mentioned here, their story was never just about them. And the benefit of us trusting God's story is that our story, if it's trusting God's, will always benefit other people. So this morning, if if you can be honest and you can pinpoint something, I'm just not trusting, I don't. I'm not trusting God here. Have a little bit of faith, and I'm going to pray in just a second. Have a little bit of faith that if you cry out, God is faithful and just. When we confess, he he comes graciously. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, this is my, I love the beginning of Genesis. 
when Adam and Eve sinned, when they broke the one law that they were given, God pursued them. He came after them in the garden. And, and he, even in spite of the death that they entered into, the sin that they entered into, God began to prepare a way for them. And I believe that God does that to us all the time. So this morning, if you're struggling there, confess, repent, and give him the rest of your story. Because the benefit of that is our world, our families, our community gets changed when we trust God's story. Let's pray. Lord, you understand the weight that we feel, potentially the guilt that we feel about not trusting you. Lord, you understand what's going on in our mind. You understand the the tactics that we're using to justify our lack of trust, justify our willingness to trust ourselves over you. And you still patiently wait. And so this morning, Lord, we just ask that you would engage us like you did your children, like you've done your children since the beginning of time. That we right now with unveiled eyes would be able to see you pursuing us, you engaging us. And Lord, if there's those in this room that don't have faith at all, they don't have any reason to trust you with their story, Lord, I pray that today that you would begin to open their eyes to see you for what you truly are. A God that loved his creation so much that he put on flesh. And came down here and rubbed shoulder to shoulder with his creation. Who lived perfectly for us. And went willing, willingly to the cross. To make us right. To give us entry into even having a story with God. Lord, those in Hebrews 11 trusted without seeing. They just moved in faith. Lord, I pray that we would take their witness. That we would take their faith and we would apply it now. That regardless of what's going on, Lord, that we would... Acknowledge your potential of bringing life to us, of restarting our story to bringing our story to where there's power in it, that there's the ability to change. And so, Lord, as we worship, Lord, I pray that you call us into your kingdom into your purpose and help us understand what it means to be like a child. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.